Hello, welcome to another edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Still marooned. What? Still marooned, still not in physical contact with anyone outside of these six walls. It's true. It's true. Today is Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. This is episode 239. Uh, As Mike mentioned, this is marooned. We are recording remotely. Right to tape on YouTube. Well, digital tape. Um, So thank you for joining us. Uh, My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. We're Rebuild Podcast coming at you for 240 episodes. 240 will be next week. 240 will be next week? Yeah, this is 239, I just said. Uh, So yes, if you're new to us or if you don't know what we are, Media Boat Podcast is a podcast about media, specifically movies, television, video games, and music. And sports. And sports. And sports, but sports is in television. You watch sports on television. Yes, okay. Unless you see it in real life, which right now... You cannot. <laughs> so, but we have that down for the dock. It is only on television. And uh, sometimes we talk about uh, um, apps on the phone that are tangentially related to music, as we'll see in the music uh, uh, section later today. Uh, but we'll get there when we get there. First off, let's start, as we always do, with movies, filmed entertainment. Eh. Eventually, weekend box office? Eh, yeah, but until then... We just have movie news. Um, so first up, let's start our first news story with another of the big theater chains and what they're doing to survive the pandemic. Yeah, so last week we talked about AMC. Yep. Uh, and it's, no, we talked about Universal and its deal. Yeah. Deal with AMC. With AMC. Right. Well, Let's talk about one of the oft-ignored, especially here on the West Coast where there's not too many of them, uh, theater chains, which is Cinemark. Executives at Cinemark believe they have sufficient cash to last well into 2021, even if theaters remain closed due to COVID-19. Their second quarter numbers are in and revealed ticket buyers numbered only in the thousands and nearly all of the reported $9 million in revenue came via prepaid advertising deals with national Cinemedia. So, as we assumed, nobody is seeing movies. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. COO and CFO Sean Gamble said the company's cash balance as of, 31, as of July 31st was about $525 million. And it is burning only about $50 million a month. So, that puts it in a pretty secure position. More secure than companies like AMC, which have already been carrying immense debt before the pandemic. Cinemark has been operating 15 test-and-learn locations on weekends ahead of a planned multi-stage reopening of its theaters on August 21st. So there exist these test locations that are, I guess, open and are seeing basically testing the waters uh, for how foot traffic will be if they open. Right, which explains where their thousand number of ticket sales come from. The company will reopen open its U.S. operations one-third at a time leading up to the September 3rd debut scheduled, I should say, the scheduled September 3rd debut of Warner Brothers Tenet. A set of safety and cleaning procedures the company calls the Cinemark Standard 
we all are trying, all we do is try to live up to the Cinemark standard in our daily life. Has helped reassure moviegoers. That seems like that's an opinion. Um, I don't know if that's going to actually reassure moviegoers. Uh, with the company asserting that 97% of these test patrons felt safe and comfortable, according to surveys. So, so according to a surveyed opinion, yeah, they felt comfortable with what Cinemark was doing. Yeah. Of the people who are going to these test locations. So if I'm going to, I'm going to hazard like a, like a little bit of an issue I have with this with, yes, uh, these are people that are one living in specific areas that these test locations exist. that are also people that are already willing to go to movies. So, right. So they're already going to have a positive outtake on going to a theater. Yeah. They're just happy to get out because they volunteered themselves to do it. So yeah, these numbers, I wouldn't put a whole lot of um, a lot of trust in them. That being said, yeah, I mean, Cinemark seems to have a plan at least. I mean, they're at least, you know, delineated rollout. But I still have a strong suspicion that Warner Brothers is going to regret that September 3rd date. And it's not going to, it, they're going to have to push it back further. Right, but this is a Cinemark story, and I think the number that should pop out you out at you is the five hundred twenty-five million dollars cash on hand. Yes, which at a fifty million burn rate currently gives them a ten-month window. Yeah, possibly they could extend that to a year. They so can hold about out. next end of July, so next August first, they have they could, and roughly enough runway in cash to stay afloat. Yeah, they could potentially hold out up until we have some sort of vaccine. Potentially. Um, Yeah, AMC doesn't quite have that kind of money. So... As we've noted with um, Amazon looking to purchase AMC, and as we also noted last week with its recent deal with Universal, that AMC gets a part of their video on demand um, first weekend or overall? It was... Actually, I don't think it was specified. The, yeah, that part of the deal they did not specify because I remember there was a line in that article uh, last week that specifically said they did not disclose all of the agreement. Mm-hmm. So the part they didn't disclose seems to be what par- part of the streaming pie they get. Right. Uh, but yeah, meanwhile with Cinemark, yeah, they're in great shape, but I still don't think that September's going to happen. So they should be happy that they have that cash because... It's going to be a long rest of the year. Right. Um, and I would assume that they can also like forego some salaries in order to keep that cash flow rather yeah. than like sell off parts of their company There's, or make deals enough until the point where people do feel comfortable going back into theaters. There are cuts that they can make that AMC won't be able to make. Right. So, and I mean, part of that being able to make those cuts is because. They're, they can't rely on big tentpole films coming in to drive people to the movie theaters. Yep. And thank you for that segue. No, 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 no. You're that welcome. That segues <laughs> us bum, 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 right over to our second mo- movie news story here, which is all about Disney. So last week we talked, as you mentioned, about Universal making that deal with AMC because of the video on demand sneaking up on their shoulders about to scare them. AMC is now prepared at least for Universal, to get part of that pie. But Disney? Did they plan on Disney also going in this direction? You may have to find out, because 
Disney has confirmed this week that they will release their live-action film Mulan online through its Disney Plus service on September 4th. But you don't just get it if you're an existing Disney Plus subscriber. It will cost an additional $30 to have access to view Mulan. So the internet kind of went up on arms about this yesterday when this was revealed. It was like $30 a pop for a movie. Well, a representative for Disney Plus confirmed that that $30 is not a one-time rental charge. In a move similar to what Microsoft and Sony do with their free video games with Gold and PlayStation Plus, what that $30 gets you for Mulan gets you not only one view, but continuous access to the film as long as they remain subscribers to Disney Plus. That's the that's the very same argument that I was making to a lot of people. Except it's a weird argument because then I have to go back and say, but unlike that, it is not free on top of your existing subscription. So you're already paying for Disney Plus. Now you also have to pay $30 to have access to Mulan. So really what this is, is it's a video on demand purchase. Like you would... Premium DLC first access. It's basically like you're buying that $20 version of Onward before it was on Disney Plus Mm -hmm. to own it, to own it digitally. The only thing here is that there's an additional catch because you also have to be a Disney Plus subscriber in perpetuity to continue watching Mulan. Right, but I think that's a thing people glossed over or completely forgot because it just happened that Disney lost money on Onward flat out. Like they didn't make money in theaters and they put it for free. I mean, they they put it on video on demand for like a week or two before it went to Disney plus for free. They lost money on Artemis Fowl, which went to Disney plus for free. They lost money on Hamilton, which went to Disney plus for free. So those are three big, okay. Maybe two are big ticket (laughs) items. Yeah. Straight to Disney plus for free. Now Mulan is a $200 million tentpole film. Yes. They marketed heavily that they will lose money because it's not only playing internationally, but it's not going to be playing in China as well or the US. So it makes sense from a business standpoint that if you put this for $30 in the US, you're going to make a good chunk of money here. You're going to get yeah, you're going to get $30 a pop for each household that buys this. So if you already look at the numbers that uh, are of families, households that have Disney+, Plus, then you're going to say, okay, a certain percentage of this wants to see the big Disney film this year. So a certain percentage of those Disney Plus subscribers that are already paying into Disney+, Plus will also pony up $30. It could be potentially lucrative for them. Is it $200 million plus movie budget lucrative? I don't know. I'm going to say no, I don't think it is, but I could be wrong. I'm not like, I'm not, you know, I'm not super privy to exactly how popular this movie would have been if it was released in theaters. Maybe not, but this could also get people to subscribe to Disney Plus. Whereas in that same call, they noted that they had hit their five-year goal in eight months of 60 million subscribers. Yeah, so there you go. So there you go. Uh, But yes, uh, to continue the story here, So Disney Plus subscribers will have continuous access to the film as long as they remain subscribers, as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. Disney is characterizing this as a one-time thing, but 
it could be the experiment that guides its future release decisions. In fact, yesterday also seems that it seems pretty, people are pretty confident that this is what they will do with Black Widow come November. Um, the Disney Plus Twitter account yeah. tweeted out that it was going to come to Disney Plus premium subscription in November. So, or at least it very much strongly indicated that without specifically saying $30 on Disney Plus. That being said, though, if this fails, if this experiment with Mulan does not get the numbers that they want, if people are scared of that $30 price point, then maybe they will re, maybe that's why they're not quite like saying 100% that this is going to be the case with Black Widow quite yet. Um, Matt, here's my Tim Foyle hack conspiracy <laughs> theory. Okay. All right. I'm going to go like full conspiracy theory here for like a quick, hot, quick, hot minute. Okay. None of this, this is all like weird opinions here, but okay. Mulan, people are going to be upset at Mulan because it's a Chinese film with Chinese actors and people are going to associate it with the COVID-19 virus. Therefore, they won't go out to see it, even if it did release in theaters, because people will still like have that thing like, ooh, I don't want to support a Chinese film because of that. They did us dirty. I don't like it. Therefore, it's not ideal. And Disney will lose money if it releases it in theaters, but people aren't going to go to theaters anyways. Thus, it's going to tank no matter what if they put it into theaters, resulting in Disney switching it as a loss. They already put in $200 million just to make it, plus an extra $100 million to market it, plus, let's say, an extra $50 million to remarket and remarket it, because it moved dates from March to July to August to now on demand, that now that they want to get at least something done with it, because this will also serve as their test experiment for future films, like we said, Black Widow, which in turn will perpetually generate more money, which will in turn make the shareholders happy. Thus is why this was announced during an investors meeting there. Boom, went full conspiracy series down and back. <laughs> so I think that is that probably right Maybe minus the whole China conspiracy thing. Well, that's why I had to start there before to get it back to I think ultimate money. Yeah, I think ultimately it is just they're saying, like, in order to make this money back, we're going to have to take a little bit of a risk with Mulan. And, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think there maybe is probably a small portion of the audience that is probably also inherently biased against any content that they deem from China. So yeah, there is probably an element of that, but I don't think it's the reasoning that Disney had for any of this. I think it's the bottom line is the recouping of their investment. Uh, lest we forget that the lead in Mulan also was pro-China during the whole Hong Kong protesters. Yeah. So that could deter some people if it gets brought back up again, because I think right now it's in the far back end. Oh, that happened. I forgot about that type of news cycle but because it is out there it can rear itself back up again i don't know regardless this will be fascinating to see what happens to see how popular this thing is um yeah and we'll see if disney goes forward using this but 30 dollars. i mean so when we talked about the trolls pool tour stuff and we talked about 20 dollars being the price point that seemed to be the norm at the time mm -hmm. we kind of were like all for it we basically said well 20 dollars but divided by like a family of three or four is actually a pretty good deal. And the fact that you got to keep it is even better. Uh, $30, I think a lot of people are seeing that extra $10 uh, 
as above the bar. So what I'm seeing here is is what happens every time there's a new um, a new marketplace. A, a new, new marketplace, marketplace where people need to figure out what people will buy and what for. Mm-hmm. A good example of this, and um, this kind of requires going back in time, uh, almost 20 years, no, 15 years at this point. But re- when uh, games first starting ha- started having a downloadable content in the Xbox 360 era, like there was a period of time where people didn't know how much to charge for it. Like digital indie games were originally being coming out for like $20, $10. And people were like, Oh, that's too expensive. And the money and the price went down as the years went on because the companies figured out what the, uh, pl- what players would pay and what they wouldn't pay. You saw the same thing happen with phone apps. When the iPhone was new, it was like, Oh, I'm going to pay $10 for this thing. Soon companies found out very quickly that people don't want to pay money at all for things to download on their phone. So that started, microtransactions happened and people started doing free-to-play mechanics. And advertising went up the wazoo. So what we're seeing here is the same kind of experimentation. Disney is testing the waters to see, even though $20 was seen now as a success, they want to see what 30 will do. And they're doing it in a safe environment, which is their existing subscriber base of Disney+. Plus. Right, and they're also targeting people who have an affinity to Disney who yeah. will probably go out and see the latest yeah. Disney film. Yeah. That's another well, argument that I've seen against it is that uh, people prefer the animated version without having seen this version. And also, I think some hashtag like no Mushu, no movie or something was going right. on. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway. But, yeah, anyways, um, I'm probably going to buy it not just because it's Disney, but because I have three different accounts attached to the same, or three profiles on the same account. So that $30 split three ways is, comes out to $10 per account to each of my siblings. It's no brainer there. We all get to enjoy it, we all get to watch it, and it's just $10 for each of us. So I mean, we'll see. It's gonna be the. It's gonna be too much for some people. It's gonna be not. It's gonna make sense for some people. Mm-hmm. It'll be an interesting experiment. I want to see if it comes with like all the extra special features attached to it. You know, the ones that I like, behind the scenes stuff and audio commentary. Because it is a new film, so could be mm-hmm. extra. Maybe that's what pushes it to thirty. You get all the extra content too. We don't know. People will just see a price point and automatically assume. Oh, one film for that price? No, there's a lot more that can go into it. We'll see. Uh, we don't have that long to wait. Yeah, I mean, we'll find out. Yep. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's. Uh, did we watch any movies this week? Yes, we did. We both watched a movie. Or is it a movie? We watched a visual album. Yeah, and that's the question is, does this count as a movie? Because it's on Disney Plus and it's feature length, but it takes the Beyonce The Gift album that came out last year with The Lion King and turns it into a visual album, much like she did with Lemonade and whatever was the one after that. I always forget. 
No, uh, it was uh, Lemonade was the most was the last one. It was one before it then. It was the self titled her oh. just album called Beyonce was before that. Okay. So yeah, much like Lemonade then. So do we count that as a movie then? Uh, I mean, no. I mean, she doesn't call the. Well, it's interesting because she calls them visual albums, but it also usually is a film by Beyonce is usually how it's credited. So. Right. I guess, yeah, if she calls it a film, I guess it's a movie. But anyway, so yes, uh, Blackest King is out on Disney Plus and for free. You don't have to pay $30 for this one. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, it is a visual album that takes her um, album that she did to promote the uh, Lion King remake. Right, the uh, gift a couple of years album. Ago. Yeah. It came out last year. Yeah. And uh, it is based on a lot of the music that was from that album. Um, but it's not just that. It's also, it's also, since it's a visual album, it's also this very visually, like, colorful and expressive, like, depiction of kind of hinting at the story of The Lion King, but bringing it to a traditional African setting with people like acting out some of the thematic elements of the Lion King story, but in a new, more human way. And then on top of all that, there's also a layer of in between scenes, um, people presumably interview subjects. I'm not really sure. Um, talking about the black experience. It's really interesting from listening to it from a year ago and like, oh yeah, I I listened to this. These are familiar songs. And then seeing it all play on screen, I was like, uh, yes, I understand what they're going for. It's very abstract. It's very avant-garde. It's very whoosh. <laughs> but also very colorful, very bright. And yeah. oh my God, Beyonce can dance. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, that's kind of her thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. It looks really, it's just everywhere. There's just color and, and just, yeah, just, every, just amazing visuals, amazing court, like choreography and cinematography happening. Uh, looks great on a 4K TV. It's not even shot in 4K. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, really impressive. And yeah, it's, it's definitely, and worth worth it's definitely an experience that does make you consider like the subject of like I don't know it's really hard to put into words I think yeah this is why we didn't do a write up for it on the website I think we we talked about this off podcast yeah we were both like we like it but it's also something that being two white males Probably yeah. shouldn't touch. Yeah, it's it's, it's hard for yeah. it's hard for us to cover because so much of it is about the black experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, so yeah, what 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 I will say though is if you like Beyonce, and I think that this is worth checking out. It's it's an hour and twenty five minutes, which I think maybe will be a little long for some people wishing for like a more like a shorter, more compact experience but is a visual, like, is just a piece of visual art that is just amazing to look at and watch. So 
yeah, as for as for what the, it's trying to say, I don't think we're the people who should be talking about the statement it's making. But, but it's something you should definitely watch. Uh, I had my a, doctor watch it. Uh, yes. The chat loved it. They were really into it. They were into Beyonce's moves and singing and just very hypnotic and captivated by what was going on in the film. And I think that alone is reason enough to check it out. It's, I mean, the album itself can be weird. This is why I don't like listening to musicals without having a visual representation. Because the album itself, like listening to it last year, as I said, seemed very weird to me. It was like, it very harmonically invoked a lot of African tones and subset into that. But having the visual album with it now totally makes a lot more sense as to what was going on. And I think that's kind of what you get here. Treat it like a musical, if you would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's like that kind of thing. Um, So yeah, if that sounds appealing and you have Disney Plus, I mean, yeah, it's there. Definitely check it out. Yep. All right. Any of the other thoughts? Uh, Didn't see any other new movies this week. Nothing. Okay. Uh, I watched Jojo Rabbit. Because it's oh, on okay. HBO. It's a last, that's last year, though. Yeah, but it was also Academy Award winning for screenwriting? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, if you have HBO Max, it's free on HBO Max. Uh, well, it's part of your subscription. Um, Premiere, I watched it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great way of poking fun at the whole Germany Nazism, but also <laughs> great insight into how young children basically get indoctrined into thinking this way. Yeah. Uh, it's a fun film. It's hard to talk about it without spoiling a lot yeah. of it. Because a lot of like the twists and turns that come from it. But basically, it's a young boy who goes to Nazi camp. Um, kind of like Boy Scouts. And then he has imaginary Hitler has his best friend. And so you have this duality of him talking it out with himself through the Third Reich of his brain. And like, it's bad, but it's not bad. But you've told me it's bad, so it's bad. But I'm getting secondhand information or direct information contradicting everything. And so it's a, it's a really great and fun film. It's also based off a book, but definitely check it out. Uh, Taika Waititi is quickly becoming one of my new favorite directors. Yeah. So yeah, that that I haven't yeah, I haven't seen that one. Eventually I will get to it. All right, let's move on into television. And we start television and always with our sports corner. Sports is back. I was talking about sports earlier. All of the sports. Yep, all of the sports have returned. Basketball and hockey returned in their respective bubbles. Yep. And the bubbles are working. Um <laughs> Yeah. No one's testing positive there. Yeah, the bubbles seem to be okay. Um, so, which means that the one sport without the bubble, uh, baseball, is currently on fire. So, here's the deal. We talked about last week briefly about some of the teams that were already in kind of having trouble. We're starting the Marlins. The Marlins and the Phillies. Um, now we have the Cardinals with seven players testing positive. After they made the great decision to go to a local casino. 
In addition to the seven players, six of the staff members also tested positive. So that's 13 people on the Cardinals organization. So their games are also being postponed. So that also means that the league has canceled this month's scheduled Field of Dreams game that was going to be between the Cardinals and the White Sox. So that will no longer happen. Yeah, we had talked about this last year, how they missed the 20th anniversary, and we're just yeah. kind of, oh, we didn't realize it. So we're still for the 21st anniversary. Nope. Now going for the 22nd. So, yeah. Meanwhile, Which I think other... they should still make it the Yankees and White Sox, because that's the two teams that play. But who am I to judge? <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Who can say? Um, so yeah, um, other baseball remains um, still happening, though. So for the time being, there is baseball being played. But eventually, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with these teams. Yep. Um, also, in real quick baseball news, Mike Trout is a daddy, and yep. then he came back and immediately hit a home run for his child. Yep, he sure uh, did, and uh, got the win uh, too last night. So. Yep. Congrats to the Trout. All right. Uh, what else in sports here? So uh, the XFL, we talked about earlier this year how it came and then immediately went bankrupt. Uh, came back and then immediately went bankrupt and now lo- no longer exists. It went bankrupt not of its fault, but because of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but for what I understood, it was going really well initially. <laughs> something new or something fresh. Except, uh, yeah, well, now that it's no longer in existence again, some people now want to bring it back for a third time, and they're about to pony up some money to do so, and they're led by none other than The Rock? You mean Mr. Wrestler himself? Yeah, so Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, leads a group of investors that plans on purchasing the XFL, for approximately $15 million. Huge asterisk right there on the purchase price of $15 million because that is the bid they put in yeah. to purchase it. Note that Vince McMahon put in $250 million to get this thing started. Yeah. And also add to the fact that when it did um, close up, there's a currently an ongoing lawsuit with the XFL commissioner, Oliver Luck, suing Vince McMahon for the remainder of his paycheck or of his tenured salary, which comes out to $25 million, well above the $15 million that they are purchasing it. Now, this initial 15 is the starting price. This is what they're, they're putting a bid in for. This is not an accepted offer. It's not a done deal. This is just the offer that they are submitting. Uh, right. It still has to go through a lot of legal ramifications, a lot of due diligence, a lot of back and forth. Yeah, But there is interest, garnered interest, in at least the XFL brand to continue. Yeah, and honestly, uh, I would be a lot more comfortable with an XFL owned by someone like the likes of The Rock instead of Vince McMahon. So uh, Maybe Patrick Mahomes can get it on this too, <laughs> seeing as he's part owner of like the Kansas City Chiefs now. Yeah. Or yeah. the Kansas City I guess the cheese, but also the Royals. For now, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, like who knows, right? But yeah, it'll be interesting to see it hopefully change corporate overlords because, man, I would just, yeah, I would feel a lot better about it as a thing, uh, as an alternative 
if it wasn't owned by a man whose maybe interests are not in the best places. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see, but that's ongoing. There could be more XFL in the coming years. All right, any other sports before we move on to a big sports story that is our first uh, television story? Uh, let's move right into that because college sports are starting to return. Sort of. Sort of, kind of. Yeah. Um, so as we inch closer to college sports starting, and rather, I guess this week, all colleges are starting. Normally, this would have been first week one of the first couple of weeks uh, for college sports and college football. Obviously that's not happening. Uh, each yeah. different conference has their own schedule set up to play in conference, yeah. but no one really asked the players what they thought. Which leads to this story about 100 plus PAC 12 NCAA athletes that are now planning to sit out this year unless the conference negotiates with them and reaches a legal agreement regarding health and safety practices, while also addressing issues of racial injustice and economic inequality. The players who have been in discussions with each other for over a month have made a public list of demands with the goal of earning a formal negotiation process with the conference. The student athletes are calling for specific health and safety precautions as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic including player-approved standards and third-party oversight, preservation of non-revenue sports, <coughs> excuse me, preservation of non-revenue sports, a joint task force to address racial injustice issues, and economic freedom and equity, including guaranteed medical coverage, name, image, and likeness rights, that's a big deal, and fair market play or pay based on a revenue sharing model. In some cases, schools are asking students to stay at home and take classes online while still asking athletes to play football games, while other schools are asking players to sign waivers absolving them of any liability involving COVID. Universities are making decisions without formalized input from the players, unlike the return of every other professional sport. We are not your entertainment. We are human beings, says Oregon Safety Jevon Holland. We don't know the long-term risks. We have no idea how it's going to affect our body, regardless if we show symptoms or not. I refuse to put my health at risk for somebody else's benefit. So, yeah, I feel like he speaks for probably a lot of college athletes right now, which are basically, like, demanding to be treated with the same rights and, like, and... Uh, yeah, the same rights as their professional brethren that are getting at least acknowledged in this decision-making process. All right, and this is something that we have noted and continued to note as an ongoing process, especially with the likeness and pay currently going on in California. Uh, yeah. That passed a, a bill in the Senate and then approved by the governor. Uh, also, real strong point to note here, that they're not advocating, advocating just for football, but for all sports, yes. even those that are non-revenue generating, because they're yeah. impacted too, these collegiate be, athletes. It would be a crazy turn of events if this pandemic is what ultimately gets them, finally ends the arguments about payment and um, 
and um, benefits for college athletes. Like Even if a college athlete stipend yeah. could be generated from this. Yeah, like that would be crazy if, like it would be history making if this is the thing that finally just puts that issue to bed. And it could be. I think they have a good argument here for all of these things. I think this also speeds up the timeline of the NCAA, as we had noted when the California likeness um, bill was passed, that NCAA said, okay, we'll take three years to look into this and we'll get back to you. Yeah. And, and see where we land. But this could speed that up if, Especially if players decide to hold out for their safety concerns, and rightly so. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. we don't know long term effects that this may have. There's no possible study that could be done on that because we're not there. There is no future point that we can point to. Yeah. It makes sense, honestly. Um, so, yeah, it's only a matter of time before the NCAA has to make a decision here. And each of these, like each of these divisions, right? But do note that they're not going after the NCAA right. as a yeah. governing body; they're going after the conference specifically. Right. Yeah. So it'll be up to this conference specifically to hopefully involve the athletes into this process. Right. And while this is specifically focusing on the Pac-12 conference, don't be surprised if this generates momentum into the other big five powerhouse conferences. Yeah, I would imagine they're all looking at this to see what happens next. Mm -hmm. All righty, let's move on to our second story here, which of course is about Disney. I mean, we're obviously going to talk about Disney. So I didn't really want to talk about that whole Ellen thing again. Yeah. Because that was basically all that was dominating the news this past week. Right. But ultimately, no huge decisions have been made there. Just more stories are coming out. Right, more stories are coming out, and Ellen was hinting at dropping the daytime talk show. Yeah, and there were rumors going around, or like at least people suggesting who they think should replace her. And so, yeah, a lot of talk happening in that circle this week. But there's also talk happening about Disney Star. Now, what is Disney Star? Because here in the U.S., that is not a thing. You know, it's not. But Disney Star overseas is a big deal. So here's, here's what's going on. Disney plans to launch a new general entertainment streaming platform, general entertainment streaming platform, overseas in 2021 under the Star brand name, according to CEO Bob Chapek. Service would include content from ABC, FX, Freeform, Searchlight, and of course, 20th Century Studios, which they now own. Now, that sounds a lot like Hulu, doesn't it? It does. Chapek didn't say a star is replacing Hulu, but he did spend some time explaining why the company is launching a general entertainment service under Star instead of just expanding Hulu to be international. Disney Star Studio is a big brand overseas compared to Hulu, which is a US-specific US name. When Disney acquired Indian media and entertainment conglomerate Star India and subsequent streaming service Hotstar in 2019 as part of the Fox deal, the company changed the name to create Disney Plus Hotstar, uniting the two brands together. Now, Star is known as Disney's Star India. So, Star has become the international brand name 
on top of Disney Plus. So it makes sense when you have such a big, already um, in, like big install base in India that already knows the star brand and trusts the star brand and has existed for a long time to then roll in a new streaming service over there. It makes sense. This is why there's no Fox News International, but rather Sky TV. Right. They, you want existing brands. You want to continue using existing brands so that way you can continue leveraging their audiences. So yeah, it wouldn't make sense to introduce Hulu overseas if they already have the name for this. Also <laughs> trying to translate Hulu into 60 plus different languages. Yeah. Hulu's made up already. You don't need to explain it to new people. Right, whereas Star is pretty straightforward. I think every nation out there has a word or yeah, a way sure. to say and spell Star. Also, I just like how that sounds. It's like Disney Star. It brings back when like there was rumors about what they were going to name the, the, was it the GameCube or the Wii? I don't remember. And then there was like a rumor going around that it was going to be the Nintendo Power Star. And it was going to be shaped like a star. <laughs> like man, good times. I'm gonna go with the GameCube because Mario Star. Anyway, I like Disney Star. I think they should rename Hulu over here Disney Star as well. Well, then you can't explain the old Hulu marketing where they're aliens. You can. No, you they're can't. from the Disney Star. <laughs> they're they're from the Disney oh, Star. From, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> All right, where's that tinfoil conspiracy hat? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's it for television news, but you watched a couple of pieces of television this week. I watched a couple of stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess let's start with HBO Max. because this one. Why looks, not? Because this one is really quick. Um, so HBO sports documentaries have been a well-known thing. They did The Price of Gold, which was the um, USA Gymnastics scandal yeah. that happened last year. They also did Student Athlete, which is about, as we just mentioned, uh, NCAA and their rules and regulations for the governing body of student athletes. But this one is called The Weight of Gold, which is about the U.S. Olympics yeah. Not necessarily a specific team or a specific person, but the Olympics in general and the athletes and what they have to go through to train for it. Name-wise, it sounds like it's a sequel to The Price of Gold. You would think so. Or is, is that the hard gold? I think Price of Gold is the Netflix one. No, that's Athlete A. Yeah. Um, no, you can hear me. Uh, yeah, but the weight of gold is—it's uh, an interesting look. Oh, there we go. Yep, uh, the weight of gold is an interesting look into USA athletes and kind of athletes in general, and how we kind of put them on this pedestal and glorify them for the one once a week, every four years that that they come into our lives or once a month rather because it leads up into it but as for the other what is that 50 months 49 months 47 months i can do math 
I, I could do 12 times four. <laughs> I, I can't do 12 times four. It's just 48. So of course yeah. it's 47 months 48. that you're not watching them. Um, the other 47 months that out of the year where they're not in front of the TV, where they're not in front of magazines and how they train and how it's a mental strain on all of them. And how like, even if you do win gold and achieve what's considered the peak of your sport, what next? You kind of fall into this depression of, okay, I'm the best. Where do I go? You no yeah. longer have this. You, you've attained the unattainable goal. What's the next thing to motivate you, to drive you, to do better? And it says, I mean, and through it, a lot of these athletes do fall into a depressive state because they've been training all their lives to become these finely tuned athletic machines to win or compete, and then it's gone. You have no, you have nothing. And so it's a really hard-hitting piece that I think you would enjoy because of the mental health aspect that they drive into, that if you don't, like there's so much pressure put on them broken up to where there's pressure put on them to win, to succeed. There's pressure put on them from children, from a young age, to, to even become these idols that we watch every four years. And then there's pressure after it, financial pressure of, okay, now that that's gone, where's my next paycheck coming through? Where's my next yeah. revenue? How am I going to turn this one event into a year possibly more worth of runway for me until the next time I can compete or the next time I can win a prize. Yeah. It's a very, it's a double-edged sword. And yeah, first of all, phone and my speakers came out like and said, there's a problem. We don't know what it is. And then it came back. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, it's a double-edged sword, I would imagine, because like, yeah, like you were saying, it's like you have to train so hard around like around the clock all year to be up to the standard of being an Olympian. But the, what you get in like in return is not enough to keep you going day to day. So it's just a system that has flaws that also then has repercussions after, as you mentioned with just your mental health. And so like, yeah, there's just so many layers to it that I just can't, I can't imagine, like, part of me does actually, like, part of me is always thought in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I really have always enjoyed archery. Like, is that a path I could have, like, go, have gone down at some point in my life? Like, is there an alternate universe in which I got really into archery and, like, went to the Olympics? Like, maybe, but then I hear stuff like this, and then I'm like, hmm, maybe it's good that I didn't do that. <laughs> So yeah, it's like it's it's yeah, it sounds fascinating. You have a piece uh, that you wrote up on the website right now, mediaboatpodcast dot um, That kind of goes in pretty much over the same stuff you just said. But yeah, it's just it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I would definitely suggest anyone who is who either like played athletes or like watches the Olympics even, and like is enamored with these athletes that watch it. It is a hard-hitting piece. I mean, it was, I, I know of this. I know that this stuff happens, but to have it, like, spoken plainly to your face by the likes of Sean White, Apollo Ono, Michael Phelps, who um, produced the documentary himself, and, like, yeah. how, like, 
like, oh, you think you know where it's going, but no, like, it's a hard-hitting piece and definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Okay, well, sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, what else do we got? Um, the thing I was going to, that I kind of teased last week that I knew yeah. was coming and was looking forward to, and that is the Umbrella Academy Season yep. 2. And it's more of what you want and in a good, good way. <laughs> uh, they bring it. So at the end of season one, we were left escaping the apocalypse and we didn't know where we were going to end up. Well, start of season two, we know. Yet another apocalypse. <laughs> but this time in the past, as is centers around the 1960s and the JFK purported assassination. And how that not happening but being blamed on the Soviet Union leads to all-out nuclear war. And yeah, so right. our heroes, of our family heroes, have to uh, band together and prevent, distort, or make sure history happens as it's supposed to happen. <laughs> while also dealing with the racial tension that's going on and working for, with, and stalking the major components of that event being Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby. Mm-hmm. Uh, also dealing with the time traveling organization that we that was introduced in the first season and how they intervene to correct the timeline. Correct the timeline. <laughs> so it's a lot of the stuff that you love from the first one. And the needle drops are back and they are fantastic in every sense of the word. Uh, <laughs> Once again, proving to be one of my favorite shows on TV right now. I'm yeah. looking forward to what they do with season three as they set it up. But if also, but because it's on Netflix, if you didn't watch this before, it's uh, season one right there for you to binge watch. And then also season two readily available. It's yeah. superhero family with all the family drama that you love to see. The bickering, the squabbling, the fighting, the making up, the realizations. They're all fantastically written, and I'm happy this thing exists. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of people who are very, like, very satisfied with the season. Seems like more of what was great about the first one. I've seen occasional bits and pieces of um, episodes from this season, too. And yeah, it seems like it's a lot of fun, which is crazy considering, like, the extremely dark subject matter. (laughs) It's like it plays with tone in a really interesting way, where, like, they'll be there'll be some like ridiculous like song soundtracking a awful moment to watch that kind of balances out like, like the tone of it in an interesting way. Yeah. There's a really good fight scene that happens about episode four or five that said to Billy Eilish's bad guy, but it's played as if it was a 70s song. Oh, that's funny. It's great melding of topics and songs. And yeah. oh yeah, there's like a whole big like hippie movement and like spiritual revelation going on in the background as well with one of the characters. Yeah, it seems like they have a lot of fun with the time period stuff mm-hmm. and with the time travel element. And I know you love tra- time travel elements, so oh, yes. this was this was 100 up your alley, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems fun, and uh, yeah, it seems like a good time for people who enjoy that first season. Yep, I've got a review ready for the website as well. I think. It's going up sometime soon. Yeah, uh, yeah I didn't realize. I, I haven't had a chance to check the site today, but it'll go up today. Okay. All right. Let's move on then. Do you have anything, anything else? else? No? 
I got nothing. All right. Uh, the final episode for uh, When They See Me in the Dark. What's it called? See You in the Dark? Uh, from HBO. I'll review it next week. Okay. The, I don't the know final episode went up. <laughs> uh, so I'll be able to binge watch that series and then okay. get report next back next week on that. We will see. All right, let's move on to cancellations and renewals. We do got some this week. First up, Netflix has announced that Money Heist, its fifth season, will be its last. So no more Money Heist soon. Prime Video has renewed Hunters for a second season. Okay, Nazi Hunters, second yeah. season. Yeah. Al Pacino, congratulations. All Hunters. Uh, and the CW, we think has canceled Taskmaster, the game show, uh, after one episode because it's not been removed from the schedule. Yeah, the British-imported TV show Taskmaster was mysteriously taken off the schedule for CW. Unknown if it's canceled, but that's never a good sign. Nah, not really. And then we move into deaths. We have uh, three three relatively, relatively large deaths this week. Uh, first up, uh, oh yeah, this happened. Herman Cain, age 74. Uh, you might know him as a politician, uh, but he also was a uh, food magnate from Godfather's Pizza in Pillsbury. Uh, but yes, um, he died from COVID uh, about, what, three or four weeks after attending a... Uh, the the Tulsa rally? Rally in which he proudly said that he was going and didn't care about COVID. So there you go. Next up, Sir Alan Parker, age 76, director of Midnight Express, uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall, and Mississippi Burning. Uh, So yeah, uh, tenured director. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, gem of stage and screen, Wilford Brimley, age 85, actor, character actor for years, uh, known for roles in The Natural, The Thing, Cocoon, but uh, had kind of a second career as a pitchman in several ads uh, for Quaker Oats. He was the guy who said it was the right thing to do. Um, he was also an advocate for uh, knowledge, knowing more about diabetes, or as he so lovingly called it, diabetes. Diabetes. So yeah, uh, he will definitely be missed. Uh, just a wonderful man with a wonderful mustache. Yep. All right. Um, he passed from kidney complications in the ICU. Uh, and one last note um, on deaths. As we noted last week, Regis Philbin, beloved yes. TV host and television personality icon, passed last week. Well, he was buried um, a couple of days ago in a service at his alma mater, Notre Dame, where he is and will be buried. Okay. In the uh, North Cemetery there. So... He'll forever be an Irishman. Forever be a fighting Irish. Yep. All right. Let's move on out of deaths into good news. That's music. Ooh. Who could have seen this coming? We could. As we start uh, music with the billboard, and we start the billboard with the Hot 100. And as we talked to death about it last week, saying its phrases, so did Taylor Swift sing its way to the number one slot with Cardigan. Yep, your top one number one single this week. Uh, number two, Rockstar by The Baby, featuring Roddy Rich. 
Number three, What's Poppin' by Jack Harlow, featuring the baby, Tory Lanez, and Lil Wayne. At number four, The One by Taylor Swift, because it was the first song on that album. Yep. And at number five, Blinding Lights by The Weeknd. This, yep. of course, means we no longer have Lil Baby in <laughs> right. the top five. Down to just one baby this week. Uh, just a note, though, uh, the weekend is very, very lucky because it was very close to having three Taylor Swift songs in the top five this week. Because right outside the top five, number six is Exile, uh, the uh, uh, song that's the de- uh, the de- duet with Bon Iver. Bon Iver. Bon Iver, uh, yep. Our favorite Bon Iver. Yep, the Bon Iver. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we almost had three Taylor Swift songs off full floor in the top five this week. As for your Billboard 200, your albums chart, no surprise, Folklore by Taylor Swift, number one. Uh, again, or not it, again, for the first one. Lover, it, uh, folklore did what Lover could not. Yep. Uh, number two, No Pressure by Logic. Number three, Legends Never Die by Juice World. <laughs> number four, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon by Pop Smoke. And at number five, Hamilton, an American musical by the original Broadway cast. Yep. So Taylor, uh, big week. Like I said, this record turns out to be the one that she was hoping Lover would be and wasn't. Of course, the one thing that isn't happening this year is a juggernaut like Old Town Road, which is the reason why all the singles from Lover until the title track did not hit number one. So you got lucky that one everybody is listening to music right now thanks to the pandemic and two that the little Nas X isn't around or whatever rock star is, has been around for so long that people right. wanted something new. Yeah. She, she created a moment with us dropping a surprise record and it's worked out for her so far. I mean, I, I was surprised to see this charting as well as it did, but when you actually think about we'll the number, see if it keeps charting next week. Yeah. We'll see. All right, um, moving on. If you didn't like any of those albums, and Folklore's on there, so of course you liked an album on yeah. there. We have new releases. Okay, what am I listening to this week? Well, I know you're listening to Folklore again, but here are your new releases. Uh, we have Limbo by Amine. So there's supposed to be an accent on the E there, so it's, I think Amine. Amine. Like anime, but you're dyslexic. Oh, that's what I thought it was anime, but I am dyslexic. <laughs> also, Whoosh, Whoosh by Deep Purple. Yeah, that Deep Purple. Uh, we also have Dreamland by Glass Animals. This Devastating Map <laughs> by Helvetica. Helvetia. There's no C. I assume there's a C because I'm dyslexic. <laughs> uh, eight Gates. By Jason Molina. As posthumous. He passed away. Uh, Born Here, Live Here, Die Here by Luke Bryan. Yeah, are you going to listen to this one? I'm going to listen to this one. Um, when I told my doctor about it, she was standing like, oh, new Luke Bryan. <laughs> uh, the Dirt and the Stars by Mary Chapin Carpenter. Microphones in 2020. By the microphones. What do you know? And lastly, 
Purple Noon by Washed Out. Something for everybody this week. Well, uh, already giving you a hint of what's going to happen next week. New Look Brian thoughts. Yeah. Uh, moving on to music news. Slow music week this week. Oh, I could tell because we're talking about Dua Lipa and Future Nostalgia, which came out earlier this year. But wait. Yes, because as it's been widely acclaimed as, you know, by me and several other people, <laughs> as one of the best pop collections of the year, uh, Dua Lipa took to social media to announce that she's putting out an entire album's worth of remixes! Yeah. Uh, with a starry list of collaborations joining the full-length reboot. Titled Club Future Nostalgia, colon, the remix album will be out on August 21st. Um, the, that will follow by a week of release of a single remix, Levitating, featuring Madonna and Missy Elliott, which was already announced and assumed at the time by most fans, to be just a one-off. The additional collaboration news in Dua Lipa's post is that Gwen Stefani will be joining her for a new version of Levitating uh, that was remixed by producer Mark Ronson, who is featured among all the aforementioned women in a piece of artwork that goes along with the post. Other announcements of famous guests would seem to be in the cards as she added, quote, and many more surprises. I'm looking forward to this album. As noted, I really enjoyed uh, the Fusion Nostalgia album and having some club remixes could be a good thing. Yeah, I could see some cool remixes of this thing. But I also know myself and... I'm going to do to this thing the same thing I do to every remix album, which is listen to it once and never thinking, think about it again. Listen to it once and then go back to the original. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Don't, don't mess with the good thing. Never think about the, the remixes ever again. Yep. Anyway, our second story here, just as a real brief thing. So it's tangentially related to music. I included it because it's really big news this week, and we don't necessarily have like a, I don't know, what we would even categories as a, like an internet section politics like we don't so it's yeah there's even a politics angle here but because of its relationship with music is like this let's talk about tiktok uh tiktok on the clock don't stop it's no, body rock. song tiktok oh, oh, oh. very popular app tiktok oh yes the app tiktok the the same app that brought us uh the Lil Das X hit Old Town Road <laughs> yeah. for a non-stop, right? Yeah, more or less. Well, after being pummeled by the president <laughs> for the past couple of days, Microsoft confirmed that it is in talks to buy TikTok from China's ByteDance and expects to conclude the M&A negotiations by September 15th. So real quick, I'm going to pause real quick before we continue on the story because this story leaves out one element I saw elsewhere, which is this is just the U.S. version of TikTok. So TikTok is international. It started overseas. So this will not affect any other TikToks internationally. This will only be U.S. TikTok. Right. Well, that's what I saw and that's what I understood. 
Yeah. Are people confused that there's a difference? Yeah, I think people are confused, and it doesn't say in the story that there's a difference, so I just wanted to point that out. Okay. Um, well, this, I mean, as I teased, but this comes after the president yeah. uh, said that he opposed such a deal uh, and has claimed that he planned on banning the app TikTok, which led Microsoft to jump in and save the day. Kind yeah. Of. We don't need to go into it, but the reasoning was basically like, he's under the impression, a lot of politicians are under the impression that it's, uh, sh- that it's data, uh, it's gathering data that's sharing with China. The uh, actual evidence of that is foggy. Of course, it's sharing data with somebody, but who knows what. Uh, but it's probably not as nefarious as some of these politicians think it is. That being said, you do have to understand to a certain extent engaging with any app on your phone that's connected to the internet is sharing a certain amount of data. Right. I mean, we shouldn't be sharing data with China. We need to be sharing it with American countries, companies <laughs> like American Google, countries. YouTube, Facebook, American. Amazon, yeah, of course. you know, things that people can track our phone with, Verizon, AT&T, <laughs> Viacom, CVS. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Everything collects data and data mines. This is weird to single out this one. It's a part of your conspiracy. Get your tinfoil hat back on because it's part of that conspiracy where people just think anything from China is dangerous in this way. But anyways. Right, because our phones don't come from China. They're American made. My God, everybody knows that. (laughs) Anyway. Those parts aren't harvested, like aren't created in the Silicon Valley, but harvested in... China and the Gobi Desert and all that fun stuff. Thailand and Milan, the Milano. Milanos? Mm. Yes, especially the Milanos. They're so delicious. Yeah, double chocolate Milanos. Anyways, as the story goes, uh, Microsoft said that it it is consummated a deal for TikTok. It would move all data servers covering U.S.-based users to American shores in a bid to alleviate U.S. policymakers' concerns that Chinese government officials might be able to track TikTok users or access private messages. Uh, You know, unlike WhatsApp or Instagram or (laughs) Snapchat or any other stuff that the president may or may not be using. (laughs) Uh, TikTok has said it has more than 100 million users in the U.S. Quote, following a conversation between Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella and the president, Microsoft is prepared to continue discussions to explore a purchase of TikTok in the United States. Um, um, According to a statement, this is also set to happen September 5th which is in a month six weeks yeah roughly yeah um expect people to find a new thing to batter about and this will not happen (laughs) i don't know i actually i think this does happen because it makes a certain amount of sense for microsoft to get a piece of the big social media pie uh they've kind of always wanted one and never really got really like a foothold right but doesn't this mean that other companies like Apple and Google and Disney and Coca-Cola and AT&T 
and uh, Comcast NBC, like you know, Comcast Universal NBC, like these big companies could also purchase a, the stake of TikTok. I think t- potentially, yes, but do they Amazon. want Amazon. So Facebook is probably out of the running. Facebook just said this week that they are planning on so- some sort of TikTok equivalent that will be rolled into Instagram. Um, yeah. Then also, I saw another story last week about another company, which I'm forgetting right now. Twitter. Uh, was it Twitter? I saw something else. that I don't think it was Twitter, though. That was basically saying that they were trying to launch a TikTok equivalent here in the United States as well. So I think Microsoft is probably going to be the highest bidder here. I don't imagine anybody else will pony up uh, as much money as they will because, like I said, they want to seat at this social media table. This gets them sitting with Amazon and with Facebook in a way that they're not currently. Right, and it's the fastest way to do it, so long as TikTok stays relevant and doesn't right. go the way of Vine or Dick yeah. or MySpace. It's the new hotness right now, and it gives Microsoft some clout. Yes. I think it makes sense. I think this does happen. All right. I mean, technically, it's music-related because it's TikTok. Yeah. And we talk about TikTok on the music stories when it was purchased by the Chinese company back when... Yeah. It happened. I mean, yeah. I mean, music, the music industry is seeing TikTok now as another reservoir for music to be hits. Like songs that artists have largely forgotten. I've seen a couple of stories recently pop up like this have reappeared on TikTok and gone viral and reinvigorated those bands' careers in ways that they didn't expect. So it has a tangential relationship with the music industry, but it matters when it comes to like the, how much a song is getting played on streaming services. Yep. And it's all about the money. Yep. All about generating revenue. Uh, did you listen to any albums? Uh, nothing of note this week, kind of a slow release week and uh, the path of folklore. Yeah. Same. I, I tried to look, didn't find anything. Yeah. So yep. More folklore or at least new, new Luke Bryan coming up this week. All right, let's move into video games then, shall we? As we let's. cruise right along. Yeah, cruise through uh, this year. Yep, and we start with new releases, including Fast and Furious, colon, Crossroads, yep. for the PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Horizon Zero Dawn for the PC. Yep. Is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? <laughs> uh Dash Infinite Combat for the PlayStation Switch and PC. <laughs> and lastly, Risk of Rain 2 for the PC. So from what I understand, that how to, is it wrong to pick up Girls in a Dungeon is an anime. And I believe it's on Netflix, if you're curious. Oh. <laughs> the game based on that. Okay. I, I would not have guessed that. <laughs> I thought it would have been like some parody game of dungeon crawling esque. And I'm going to thing. say to answer the title, yes, it is wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon. <laughs> you should only loot them. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's get into video game news here and news that happened today. Yes. Pikmin 3 Deluxe is coming to Switch on October 30th. Yep. Nintendo abruptly announced today. 
in addition to new side missions focusing on Olimar and Louie, the $60, yeah, $60 Switch version of the game will come with all the DLC for the Wii U original, including a range of level packs featuring new battles, treasures, and puzzles. Uh, blurbs on the updated Pikmin 3 webpage also double down on, quote, new difficulty options, locking lock-on targeting, and optional hints that will let you play and learn your way. The short trailer for the Switch version confirms that the deluxe version looks a bit better, but it doesn't show much Switch functionality. Given the motion control support of previous installments, Joy-Con controls for directing Pikmin feels like a shoe-in, so hopefully we'll see them in action soon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a point thing. It's something that has been done before. Why is that not, why is that being barred here? Yeah. Make, make it a thing. Because Nintendo is so secretive about these things. We had the reason. Giga Leak. Yeah. We had the Giga yeah. Leak last week. The <laughs> secret's out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, this is just further, another example in the uh, mounting pile of games that were Wii U exclusives that are getting Switch re- releases because nobody had a Wii U. So it makes sense for Nintendo to do this. This was a game that a lot of people missed out on. So if you like the first two Pikmin games, like, hey, pick this one up. People are kind of debating about whether it should be $60. Apparently, the Pikmin 3 had had a lower, had its price lowered to the point where it was a $20 game on the Wii U shop. Hmm. Um, so paying three times that much is going to be, I think, exorbitant for a lot of people, especially with only a handful of new features. But for people who never played the last game, it makes sense. It makes sense for this to be a full-price retail game. And yeah, um, if especially if they do full, like give you uh, choices for the control and let you use Joy-Con just like you use a Wiimote on the last one, then yeah, I think that there's some... Um, there's, there's some logic here about why they would do this re-release, and there's some value in the package. Yeah, I mean, it's Pikmin. You like it, you play it, it's fun. I played the first Pikmin a little bit. It's an okay game. I never got way into it. I think I was a little young for it when it came out. I was 12, so uh, a lot of the mechanics puzzles. were kind of over my head. Um, it's got a strategy element to it that I don't think I was quite prepared to deal with at that age, but yeah, I have people who love it, love it. Sounds good. And let's move into the last story and probably the most controversial story that's been happening in video games lately. Blizzard's pay. Wait, that's not what you have here. So that stuff was kind of still gathering steam today, so I did not put it on here. But what I will say is, yeah, like think of this as a, um, a news blip that we will be keeping an eye on probably for next week. Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah, uh, Blizzard employees are uh, basically coming out in um, up in arms about pay uh, for some of the lower employees on the corporate ladder and are trying to unite to get Blizzard to uh, make some changes to corporate culture. More changes than they made the last time they made a hullabaloo about this. So yeah, we'll uh, keep an eye on that story and see how it develops, see if Blizzard says any makes any statements about this. Uh, and yeah, if there's enough scuttlebutt about it, we'll report on it proper next week. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, that was the big story that came out today. Yeah. Well, yesterday and Steam yesterday into today. Into today. So as, as it picks up Steam and has more and more people will talk about it, I'm sure we'll have more to say on it next week. Yep. But in the meantime, other console wars and exclusivities are still at it at their throats. Yep. Uh, as Marvel's Avengers announced that it will add Spider-Man as a post-launch hero in early 2021 exclusively for PlayStation users. Yeah, this is Crystal Dynamics Avengers kind of Destiny-like that they've been teasing for the last couple of years. It's supposed to release later this year. Or, sorry. um, Later this month. Wait, next month. Start of next month. Yeah. This month is the beta month. Yeah, so soon. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, Crystal Dynamics owned by Square Enix, and they no, they didn't create they didn't create the Spider Man game. That was a that is Insomniac. Insomniac created the Spider Man game for Sony. Sony is a synergetic company when it comes to Spider Man. They don't even like letting him play in the MCU, as we talked about. Yes. So it came as no surprise to me. No, yeah. That Spider-Man was going to be an exclusive to the PlayStation uh, as it joined the roster post-launch. Um, but apparently other people had other thoughts about it. Um, other heroes joining or promised to join post-launch include Hawkeye, as it was announced during the last Marvel's Avengers War Room stream. The version of Spider-Man will be Crystal Dynamics' take on the Web Slinger. So he's not related to Insomniac Games' Marvel Spider-Man or the Spider-Man Miles Morales title releasing later in the year. Consider him an entirely different Spider-Beast with his own story that will somehow tie in to the Avengers saga that Crystal Dynamics has crafted for Marvel's Avengers. But yeah, as you mentioned, though, people on the internet are not happy with this, saying that it's unfair that such a big character in the Marvel Universe would be locked to one console. And Sony has not been doing, and Crystal Dynamics, uh, have not been doing a very good job defending that. Uh, They've been basically digging themselves deeper holes by trying to say, like, oh, going from one statement that says, oh, yeah, no, we just have a business relationship with Sony that lets this happen, to even crazier things, which is like, oh, yeah, like, no, like, it's a business. Like, you fans need to understand that there's mo- there was money involved. It's like, no, that's why they're mad. <laughs> yeah, this is um, getting... This is, a, I don't want to say a good way, but a <laughs> sneaky way to get people to buy a PS5 as it will be launching with it so they can play as Spider-Man um, among those rosters. But yeah, people on the internet are not happy about this. They figured that this was a PS3, Xbox 360 gen thing with exclusivities. Um, I mean, the one thing I, when I keep pointing back to is Soul Calibur, where they have exclusive characters yeah. for exclusive systems. Yeah. Like, but they did it. It's yeah. just that. I think the difference here is that you also have a very specific kind of fan that wants to play this game, and that is an MCU fan. And they are already, they feel like they've already fought the war to get Spider-Man, and they won. And so now they're looking at, well, I want to play Spider-Man on the PC version, and I can't. 
well, I'm a PC gamer. Yeah. And I want to play Spider-Man. Why, why should I pony up for a console when I have all my games on PC? That's right. not fair. So it's a complicated issue, but ultimately fans just need to realize that these deals have always happened and will always happen as long as there's exclusivity for these characters. And mm -hmm. Sony has the power to do this. They decided that they needed some sort of hook. This is their version of the old Call of Duty maps going first on Xbox thing, you know, that happened for years. Yep. It's just this generation's version of that, which, yeah. We which see was that. already the Destiny exclusivity when yeah. that happened. Right. Yeah. Uh, for maps first. And it's going to happen. It's going to be this way. But, yeah, people are going to get mad and butthurt on the internet about it. Yep. Uh, it's, it's an argument yeah. that can be made. Yeah. Valid or not, it, at the end of the day, it's a business decision. I think the real conversation is, what about this game? And is, are people actually going to want to play it? Because we've been so, seen so weird, like li weirdly little of this game before it's going to launch soon that people are still not sure exactly what the experience of playing it's going to be like. Which you can. the pre -order, If you pre-ordered the game, you can play the beta this upcoming weekend. Yeah. If you own a PS4, you can play the beta starting next weekend, the 14th. If you own an Xbox 360 or a PC, you can play the beta the following weekend, the 21st, before it launches on the 14th, I think. Um, I don't know. Something like September that. September 14th. So yeah, we'll see. Or yeah, early September or whatever. Because ultimately, yeah, this all might be a moot point if this game ends up not being very good. Right. <laughs> so we'll see. Because I see what they want. Like, I, I can get excited for this game, but at the same time, I can also see myself being forced to delve hours into this game in order to level up my characters. Yeah. And unlike a mobile game, I can't play that game constantly. I have to be in front of a TV, in front of a console yeah. to play it. So yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. But yeah, uh, we won't really know until the game comes out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Could they just like re like do different skins? I mean, they did that for Kingdom Hearts and Keyblades. Yeah, I mean, theoretically. <laughs> like, oh yeah, you can play with a Spider-Man-esque, but it's the British Spider-Man. Or it's Spider-Man Noir. Or... Yeah. This certain Spider-Man, like MCU Ultimate, like saw the same voice, but it's just a different skin. Yeah, I don't know. There must be some sort of story hook. Well, that's what I'm thinking for the for it to be added. Like it has to be involved somewhere in the story. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, thoughts. So last week we got cut off. Yeah. So last week. <laughs> Thank we, you, Spectrum, for having yeah, a power outage. Encountered some technical difficulties, but um, yeah, I played some video games. I finished a video game. Well, I platinumed a game. You finished a video game. Yeah. All right. Do you want to go first then, since you have? Uh, Mine will be easy and I'll be quick. Um, yeah. I have been live streaming my new game plus version of The Last of Us Part Two on the way to platinuming the game. Uh, this past couple of days, I finally did that. I crossed the threshold into playing as 
Abby and was able to knock off the last two trophies of leveling up my gear and then my abilities to 100%, thus unlocking everything, uh, unlocking the final trophy or the platinum. So that game is officially a platinum on my uh, trophy list. Now I'm struggling with the question of, okay, cool, I got it. Do I finish the game or do I take this game off? I'd say play a different game. There's other stuff. Well, I know there's other stuff because Free Guys, uh, Ultimate Fall Guys, Fall Guys was free on PS Plus. So I might delete that game and then put that on now. Yeah. Might also delete uh, the fall, the the witness, the following, the witness, uh, because that game has still been on my PS4 even though I've played it in a while. Classic media boat uh, running gag there. Yep. Put it in one last time. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, platinum, finished, done. Congratulations to me. Cool, you're uh, done. I might be streaming more games. Yeah. I, I'll probably stream uh, Fall Guys because I've seen a lot of people who have played it so far kind of like it. Yeah, it seems neat. Yeah. So I'll see if I get to that tonight even, maybe. Perhaps. Uh, sports gets in the way of watching, of playing <laughs> games. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but uh, last week, you started talking about a game yes. called Carry On. You even put thoughts on the website. Yes. Have those thoughts changed? So, uh, no, because I haven't played anymore since I wrote that. So, yeah, Carry On, it's not a very complicated game. As I started to explain last week, um, so it's like a Metroid-style exploration and action game from from a side-scrolling perspective, except instead of being the monster, or instead of shooting the monster, you are the monster. <gasps> yep, you're a big mass twist flesh um, with tentacles, and you're basically escaping. Um, and along the way, during your escape, you have to solve puzzles, munch on humans, um, and like just be gross. Um, so yeah, it's, it seems like it's going to be like Metroid-y kind of like where you're gaining abilities as you go on to explore new parts of the caverns that you're going through, except it's less about the exploration and more about the puzzles. So like, yes, you are getting new abilities, but they're for the service of these basic puzzle, like basically puzzle rooms. So you'll find yourself in like a zone. You'll see a switch that you can't get to. You got to figure out how to navigate the room to get to the switch. It's stuff like that. Down the line, you do get uh, different versions of yourself where you expand in different, like different forms, give you specific abilities that are exclusive to that form. So the more advanced puzzles will have you basically harming yourself in order to retreat down to a, specific, a, a smaller form so that way you can use the smaller form's ability and then retransform into the bigger form so you can use that ability to solve that second part of the puzzle. So it's stuff like that. So if that sounds appealing, um, it's on Game Pass right now. So if you're a Game Pass subscriber on the PC or on the Xbox console, you can play it. Um, and it's also available on other platforms for about $20. So yeah, it's neat. Um, there's not a whole lot there. It's like a six hour experience, I think tops. So okay, yeah, it's not that bad. A nice snack sized uh, piece of video game 
uh, fun. So if you if that sounds cool, and if you want to be a floating or uh, blob of flesh, and you want to tear people into bloody chunks, you can do that in this game. Action adventure meat boy. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, also, I played um, a game called Ancient Enemy. All right, so tell me about the Greek gods. <laughs> so Ancient Enemy is the new game by Grey Alien Games, which is the studio who makes PC-based solitaire games. So and if, if you're thinking that that's probably the most me thing I've ever said, then yes, it is. Um, so they specifically make uh, games that are around the uh, Tri-Peaks variant of solitaire, so you're matching by going up or down based on the face value of the card. Um, except what they started doing with their last game, which was called Shadow Hand, which I may have talked about on this podcast, came out in 2017. So if you go back to the archives, you may have heard me talk about this game. But um, the basic setup of that is it's a matching tripeats game, but on top of that, there's an RPG layer. So there is player progression. There is... Uh, items there are uh spells that you can attach to your uh to your character to use during the match of tripeak solitaire then there's just the tripeaks levels but there's also duels where you're battling another character so Shadowhand already did this um this ancient enemy is basically taking the basic concept of shadow hand and refining the gameplay and getting rid of what I guess they deem to be unnecessary parts of the experience, which is for better and for worse. So I loved Shadowhand. I thought it was really, really cool. It was a combination of two genres that I love. And yeah, and I even went back and played it on very hard, like because of how much fun I was having with the basic setup of the, of the game. Ancient Enemy it has the basic structure is the same where there's levels that are just matching and there's levels that are duels, but it's taken out the element of dueling with an actual AI. Instead, the AI just has moves that it's going to do. It's going to attack you with a physical spell, for example, or it's going to use an item or it's going to attack you with a, um, with a magic spell. And you basically have to be prepared judging by the out, like what they, that enemy has with your whatever you equip on your on your character. They are not actually matching cards though. In Shadowhand, they actively matched, kind of like how in Puzzle Quest, the other your opponent is also playing the puzzle with you. In Ancient Enemy, they're not touching the cards. You are the only ones doing do one doing the matching. So that kind of takes up a little bit of the strategy out because you're no longer thinking about the palette of cards and about what the enemy might match to get power. They are completely just getting buffs and debuffs on their attacks based on their items and what they have in their inventory. So it kind of doesn't have as deep as a strategy element as Shadowhand did. It also lacks the um, the armor um, mechanic that Shadowhand had. In that game, you were putting on different aspects of your outfit, which would actually change your avatar's look in the actual game, which was cool. Not at all in this game. There's no, like, all armor is designated by an armor card that you use, basically, in your, in your inventory. Uh, so, 
what it basically turns out to be is a way more refined version of the strategy of the duels, which I think some people will appreciate. But to me, I missed a lot of those extra elements of being able to creatively outfit my avatar. And so really what it, it boils down to, okay, I'm going to click on the enemy's stats. I'm going to see what they're immune to. I'm going to see if they have magic or physical attack. And basically, okay, they have a physical attack, physical defense card. That's it. That's the only strategy. So I'm kind of disappointed in this game. It's, it's not as good, I don't think, of a game as Shadowhand is. It also doesn't have an interesting story at all. Shadowhand had an interesting story. You were like this like baroness who was like being a like was secretly like a rebel assassin. And it's also a love story about like you're being reunited with your girlfriend. And like all that stuff was super cool. Ancient Enemy, literally, you could read the name of the name of the of the game and know what the story is. Your dude was attacked by an ancient enemy. He's trying to get back to that ancient enemy. And he just monologues to the whole game. There are enemies, but they barely talk. He's basically just having a monologue with himself between each level, talking about, oh, this terrible wasteland. I'm barely, like, surviving. I need to find this ancient enemy. It's, like, boring as hell, and so I end up just skipping most of it. So all that build up just for a subpar plot and a fairly average gameplay. <laughs> No, I'm just disapp- I'm disappointing that it's not as good as Shadowhand, a game that I really, really love. And so, yeah, like, whereas the gameplay is there, I still get the, the Tri-Peaks matching gameplay. Just everything on that, like, out, like, outside of it, just everything surrounding the basic guard matching is a downgrade. And, yeah, so it's $15 on Steam. Um, if that sounds like something that you want to play, get Shadowhand instead. It's probably cheaper at this point. Um, it's a deeper experience, in my opinion, with a better story. So if you've already played that, though, to death like I have, maybe Shadowhand's worth it. There's actually a bundle uh, that bundles all three of their games, which is this Shadowhand and their previous game, Regency Solitaire, which doesn't have any of the RPG stuff, just the matching, but also has the storyline. So yeah, that's kind of worth it, I guess, if you've played none of these, because it bundles all of them together in one package. So yeah. It's cool, uh, but not as cool and was kind of a disappointing experience to me. Okay. Then um, I want to use that as kind of jumping off point because the other thing I've kind of been messing up around with is uh, I got a gaming PC. I got a computer that doesn't play video games. Right. So you brought this up last two weeks ago that yeah. you finally take the, the leap after looking at both consoles and invested into a future-proof, at least yeah. for five years, gaming PC. Yeah, we talked about this last week a bit with the Series X news, but basically, like, if Microsoft is putting all of their first-party games on PC as well, more or less, that stuff seems to be a little still foggy, depending on the game, uh, but more or less, uh, they'll be available on PC and, to a certain extent, PC Game Pass. So that was basically... Right, that's also a news story that happened but didn't really cover they're dropping Xbox from Xbox Game Pass and just calling it Game Pass. Game Pass and then Game Pass for PC. Yeah, it makes sense. Branding-wise, it's more streamlined. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, 
it made sense for just what what the kind of games I want to play and where I want to play them. So, so yeah, that's I future proofed myself, I guess, for the next generation. Um, but anyway, so I've been messing around with some older games as well as the games I just mentioned. Um, so I jumped back into Destiny 2 and messing around with the free-to-play stuff on that. Uh, but we'll probably take the plunge with um, the new expansion when it comes out next month to see how that is. Um, it does not. So since last week, I did find out. So PC Game Pass does not get all of the expansions like Xbox Game Pass does. So if you are a Game Pass person on the Xbox One, you will get soon a Game Pass version of Destiny 2 that does have all access to all DLC. PC Game Pass owners do not. Uh, Got to read the fine print for that, I guess. Yeah. But it's been cool messing around, messing around with that game, uh, getting back into kind of the groove with that. I played some more recent games as well just to see how they would run. I ran um, Wolfenstein uh, uh, Youngblood, which came out last year, on that to see a basically modern game, to see how that ran. Ran beautifully. Looked great. Um, I ran a bit of Jedi Fallen Order, also from last year. Um, That also ran really well. So, yeah, I think I'm ready. Come at me, new games, because I'm ready to play. Well, good, Uh, because Horizon Zero Dawn is out on PC this weekend. But I've already played that game, so I'm not quite rare in, as rare in to spend 50, another $50 on it. So. But you get Wildlands in this one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. If I wanted to play that, I would just jump back into the version I already own. So, But yeah, I'm looking forward to playing new stuff as it comes out on Game Pass. And I signed up for EA's Origin. I signed up for Epic Game Store. So I have all the storefronts ready. So whenever anything comes uh, for free or through their ind- or their subscription purchases in case of origin, I will be uh, ready to check it out. All right, sounds good. Yeah, um, I'm still on the debating side of when I'm uh, when I'm going to get a new PC. Yeah, it's tough. Home, home console. I think we talked about this on podcast, off podcast. Yeah, we did. But, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, for me, the next one would be probably consoles a year into that generation cycle. Yeah, yeah. If I mean, if you get PS5, we're probably good. We cover all the bases. Yep. Well, because that'd be the one I would get. Yeah, yeah. Because you're going to want the Naughty Dog stuff. You're going to want the... Uh, you're going to want the... Um, the the Sony, the uh, Guerrilla Games, the yeah. Ratchet and Clank. Yeah, the Insomniac. I'm more in in tune to purchase their first party games. And that used to be me. Like one of the reasons why I got a PS4 was because at the time I was like, well, I have to get Sony's console because I have to play the next Naughty Dog game. And with Last of Us, they've kind of lost me. So it's not as big of a deal for me anymore. So I'm I'm losing. Like that was probably the last thread that really made me need a Sony console, so I'm not sure anymore about whether I need one. So we'll see. All right, but like I said, uh, my purchase would probably be a year down the road. Yeah. Next birthday. I don't know. It's not going to be <laughs> my, my birthday, is it? That'd be a good 30th birthday present, wouldn't it be? Mm. To myself? Maybe? Maybe. <laughs> see. We still need a price date and a release date for that. 
Yeah, which will not be tomorrow. <laughs> not be tomorrow. Yeah, well, I won't even talk about that because it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But next week, we'll probably talk about a little bit about that Sony stuff. But it's just games. So. Right, they're just focusing on games. And with that, I yeah. think that focuses us to wrap up. It does. Thank you for joining us for this full, uninterrupted, well, almost, edition <laughs> of the Media Boat Podcast. Uh, this will go uh, recorded live on YouTube if you want to see this with your own eyes. Go to YouTube.com, search Media Boat Podcast, and find our page. There you can also see archives of our other episodes that both we've reported, recorded um, remotely as well as streaming um, of uh, video games, uh, including Last of Us 2, which you can see on the channel as well. You can also get our podcast in traditional audio form uh, if you go to uh, podcast services such as Apple Podcasts and search Media Boat Podcast. We're on social media services such as Twitter, where our handle is at Media Boat Cast, and Facebook, if you search Media Boat Podcast there. We're also on the web in text form on mediapodcast.com where almost daily you can see stories go up about our newest thoughts about our about the newest releases as well as the occasional news hit. You can also last but not least email us if you have any questions, comments, anything you want to know about the site at mediapodcast at gmail.com. And that'll do it. Next right, week. And I'll do it for us. We'll have even more thoughts next week with uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, with Fall Guys, with Luke Bryan, with whatever you're going to be playing on <laughs> Xbox Game Pass. We'll see. All right. We'll be back next week. All right. Oh, see thanks ya. for tuning in. Okay, bye.